Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. all the talent that we can get. Uh, linguistic skills is obviously uh, a prime candidate, uh, but uh, equally the cultural understanding, the sophistication of how we interpret the world. Uh, there's a whole range of different things that uh, cultural and linguistic diversity offers you. You're listening to the National Security Podcast, the show that brings you expert analysis, insights and opinion on the national security challenges facing Australia and the Indo-Pacific. Produced by the ANU National Security College. Welcome to the National Security Podcast. I'm Meg Tapia. And I'm Olivia Shen. Today's podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, and we pay our respects to their elders, past and present. And today we're joined by Carl Chang, First Assistant Director General for the Office of National Intelligence and called Champion. Welcome, Carl. Thanks, Meg. Very happy to be here. And thanks, Olivia. It's good to have you. So in this episode, coinciding with Harmony Week, we're introducing a new mini-series. Olivia and I are going to be exploring cultural and linguistic diversity in national security. We're going to be asking some probing questions about the role of diversity in promoting strategic advantage. And we're going to discuss with our guests, including you, Carl, the critical importance of cultural and linguistic diversity in building a strong national security outlook. So... Carl, you are called champion for the Office of National Intelligence. What does that mean? Well, at, at ONI, uh, we, um, we have a, a cold network that was established in 2020. Uh, and it aims to promote greater cultural linguistic diversity within ONI as, as an office. We want to create greater awareness of uh, these issues around cultural and linguistic diversity in the workplace and with a view to helping the organisation better take advantage of better position it uh, to do that. And thirdly, we kind of want to collaborate with other agencies in our national intelligence community to really strengthen and promote the uh, the community as a, I guess, an employer of choice uh, for people from cold backgrounds. So all of that is really great. And I think we've heard all the lines and the statistics about how cultural diversity and diversity general really promotes innovation and creativity. It enhances an organization's problem solving. It's really good for morale and retention and, and for the workforce to feel included. But for me, cultural diversity in national security matters because where Australia fits in the world and our engagement with it, we can't be in a cultural vacuum, right? So we, we exist in the world. And so it makes sense to me because that world is diverse, that we would want to hire as many people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds to help us navigate that world. Is that what you do, you know, and I, and in that community? 
Yeah, well, I think I think in O and I, uh, we you know we do a, a number of different things. Uh, one of the key things that we do is we provide the prime minister and senior ministers with uh, understanding and insights to inform strategic decision making. And fundamentally, that obviously is about understanding how the world works, understanding what is happening around the world, and uh, to really be able to do our business. and And that goes, I think, more broadly for the agencies across the intelligence community. Uh, that we we need to have people who who can work with people from around the world, who understand people who have different perspectives and backgrounds. Yeah, so I'm first-generation Australian. I migrated here as a child and I've described my cultural and linguistic diversity and my heritage as my superpower because um, it's what allowed me to kind of navigate different worlds at the same time as a kid and so I've grown up in that way. Um, So I can imagine there's lots of people out there who are thinking, well, if I've migrated to Australia, would I be welcome in the national intelligence community? Well, I can answer that question uh, very directly because I also migrated to Australia here as a kid uh, and I'm working in the intelligence community now. So I, I, I think the answer is, is yes, you can. Uh, obviously, there are, there are uh, security requirements around how, how you get a security clearance and all that stuff. But, but I mean, I, I would still say absolutely, you know, if you've got, a, if got that interest and aspiration, then you should definitely look at that. And to a certain degree, as we have more people from different backgrounds here, uh, you know, the, the organisations themselves need to adapt. Uh, and think about how we bring people from different backgrounds in and and resolve, uh, you know, how we look at some of those issues. I would just add that I'm in furious agreement with the both of you um, as a first-generation Australian migrant from China myself. Um, it's interesting, Meg, though, you said that your, your, your migrant background you see as a superpower, mm. and I'm not sure if I've ever felt that way about it, to be honest, to be perfectly frank. Um, and Carl made a point about finding a home in the national security community, no matter your background, if you have the aspiration and the interest. To be honest, I never imagined myself working in national security policy. Growing up, you know, my mother wanted me to be a dentist. Thanks, mum. She's super disappointed, <laughs> as most tiger mums are. Honestly, I've, I've now worked in the national security community for more than 10 years, and it's the most incredible privilege. It's the most incredible privilege to be in a space where we're solving wicked problems that contribute to our nation and contribute to the prosperity and security of our people and our society and our communities. But I would never have imagined finding a home in the national security community when I was 14, 15, 16, being pressured to do dentistry at uni. But my, you know, the reason I'm here on this podcast is far more self-interested. I want people to find a home here the way that I found a home. I want to model what it can be to have a career in the national security community but look different and maybe sound different and bring this cultural baggage with both the good parts and the bad parts um, and just, I guess, be the change that I think I want to see in the community. That's, I love that. And um, I think the message there for me is around belonging and the importance of creating an environment in which people actually belong as opposed to fit in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what I, that's that sense of home, right? 
I like your use of the word family because that's how I feel too. I feel like the national security community and this domain is my family. It's where I belong. It's my home. Um, I recognise that I don't look as different. Um, I come from a Latin American background. I am a Latino, <laughs> Latina. My name is not really Meg. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, and my name is actually Margarita. Um and um, and so it's been a little bit easier for me because when people look at me, I think there's there's um, a, a more welcoming sense of belonging for me. Yeah. Um, but I do feel different. I do feel like I did grow up in a in a different world. I did grow up in a different way, and I call it my superpower because it meant that I had to learn a new language on the playground. I I had no choice but to immerse myself in the Australian culture uh, and in the Australian language because I needed to get by. But it also meant I I learned how to read people's nonverbal cues, which has been a real asset um, coming into this community. Um, and it's opened my eyes to the value of different cultures and the and that difference is actually quite valuable. So Carlo, I want to ask you, what's been your experience in the community? I've been working uh, in national security for for quite a while. I I've, I found it a very positive experience. So I, I, I guess in that sense, I'm going to say I, I've had a, a, a great um, experience. I found it very supportive uh, and 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 very enjoyable and challenging. Like all the sort of things that you would want in a in a career, right? Things that actually inspire you and challenge you and test you. Um, I, I will say, I think for for the intelligence community as a whole, I mean, it has done a lot, particularly over the last twenty years. I think to acknowledge uh, issues, particularly around gender, like it's, I think it's taken really great steps, and there's been a lot of great work done by a lot of people, uh, particularly on gender diversity. And I think now is the right opportunity to really look at cultural and linguistic diversity. I think there's there's definitely. Uh, a, a vibe, if you like, and definitely a, a sense of uh, of interest and change. So whether that's about having the right opportunities, whether that's about seeing yourself in leadership, uh, kind of celebrating culture or, or dealing with everyday racism, those sorts of issues, people aren't yet really as comfortable uh, about talking about those things, and therefore, um, you know, we still got a bit more work to do to 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 make that more of a of a norm within our organisations. And I think to kind of better connect, particularly if you're talking about employment value propositions and things like that, connect the community, its staff, and with the broader Australian community sentiment on these sorts of issues. Yeah. So you can't be what you can't see is the old adage, right? Absolutely. So how how do you do that personally as the cold champion do people do people come to you and say hey Carl I'm having a bit of an issue how do I navigate this is it more strategic where you're trying to change the conversation what do you do on a day-to-day basis to support that conversation from happening yeah great question look I I got involved when we were setting up our networks in 2020 a staff member came to me and said what are we doing about cultural linguistic diversity. So I, I took it on. And for me, the priorities are a couple of different ones. One is around our own organisation and promoting that cultural awareness and understanding. Um, having, uh, I guess, a place where people can go to to voice issues, particularly if they're not comfortable in their own management chain for, for any particular reason. But also, I think, how do we bring those issues and work on them constructively in the organisation to bring around organisational change? And how do we uh, embed that in our organisations. And the last thing for me is this sort of dialogue. And I really want to thank the college for 
um, being, you know, working on this this series. I think having this broader dialogue around the issues, challenges, and opportunities faced by national security community, by the national intelligence community on really engaging, recruiting, and retaining a workforce from different backgrounds is really critical. And that, for me, uh, and being part of this is actually how we actually bring that cultural change around and hopefully not as long as it, it's taken gender diversity. <laughs> well, I think it's one thing we always talk about is that the, the the public service, we're at large, should be more representative of the public that we serve. And the statistics bear that out that our public service isn't as diverse as it could be. And narrowing that even further to the national security community or the national intelligence community, there is clearly a long way to go there. We have a country where more than 50% of the population have at least one um, foreign or overseas uh, born parent or are themselves born overseas. And you just don't see that same kind of diversity around Canberra or in the meetings that we go to or in the forums that we participate in. Yeah, I think especially up in in the leadership levels, you certainly don't see that kind of diversity. We're getting better at gender diversity, but we're not so good at the cultural and linguistic diversity in the top echelons of the organisations. And speaking of which, I mean, Paul Simon, who's the former Director General of ACES, he made a public statement in May last year uh, for the 70th anniversary, and I had the privilege of being there. And in that speech, he spoke a little bit about diversity, and he spoke about why diverse workforce is so so important. And he spoke about the importance uh, in terms of solving complex problems, um, the need for imagination and curiosity and invention and discovery, particularly in his organisation, which is um, a a high-risk, complex operational uh, organisation, how do we we cultivate that next generation? How do we encourage people to join the national security community, to join these different agencies and then hopefully rise through the ranks? And how long do you think it's going to take? I don't know how long it's going to take, but we need to better identify barriers to cultural and linguistic diversity come in, as well as progression for those already in. We need better data. We need to make that data available. And then we can look at targeted measures to remove these barriers, including better outreach to underrepresented groups, to promote inclusive practices in recruitment, uh, recognition, retention and representation, addressing bias, including in leadership scale, uh, identifying pathways, uh, mentoring, I think, also to sort of mid-level and senior positions, uh, including better support from from managers, uh, training and upskilling where needed. And I think, importantly, we need senior support for changing the narrative, normalising the dialogue and changing the status quo. And as Liu was saying earlier, being being able to see yourself and being able to stand, understand. And I think this is this is true more generally, that when you when you talk about a, a career in national security or in national intelligence. There is a gamut of stuff that you can do. And it isn't necessarily the case that, you know, I have to be a particular way or, or have a particular skill set uh, that uh, means that this is what I'm suited to. It's, and I think that, that, that dialogue and that message, as well as people from different backgrounds being able to see themselves is really important. So if you wanted to be, you know, an accountant, an engineer, a software engineer, uh, there's a whole range of different skills and there's a place for, for you in the national intelligence community to, to do that work and contribute to the nation's prosperity and security. You know, So, I mean, I, I think it's really better, a better understanding what those opportunities are and being able to, to tap into um, people who otherwise wouldn't think of this career path for them. Yeah, I certainly didn't think of this career path and what's been wonderful to see now that I'm actually 
in the National Security College is to see, I guess, almost the growth of the sector, right? Like what you would traditionally think of as a national security or policy or, or national intelligence agency role is expanding and expanding as our geostrategic environment becomes more complex, as we have more need for synthesis and integration across the public, across not even just the public sector, but the private sector with business, with community. And all of these skills fundamentally requires this collaborative mindset. It requires appreciating difference, appreciating contestability, and actually embracing it and welcoming it. And for people who live and breathe contestability and diversity, obviously we want these people in our corner. Obviously, we value the contribution that they can make to that project of nationhood. Um, sorry, now I start to sound like a freaking infomercial or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're totally right, 100%. And what I love about what you're saying is that you're so passionate about it, right? You're just, it's, it's so important. And I think, it, I think everything that you're saying is truly, truly important. But it's got to be founded or it's got to be grounded in facts. So um, you spoke a little bit before about um, the stats, the statistics. I've got a few more stats. So uh, the top five most common languages, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, um, other than English in 2021, are uh, number one is Mandarin, number two is Arabic, number three is Vietnamese, and number four is Cantonese. Surely we need people in our national security community, given everything that's happening uh, in the geopolitical landscape and with our intelligence agencies that speak these languages. Absolutely. We, we, we need all, all, all the talent that we can get. Uh, linguistic skills is obviously uh, a, a prime candidate, uh, but uh, equally the cultural understanding the sophistication of how we interpret the world. Uh, there's a whole range of different things that uh, cultural and linguistic diversity offers you. Uh, you know, you, you aren't an instant expert just because you happen to come from a different background, but but by goodness, we, we actually need those skills desperately too at the same time. I, I will say one other thing um, is, and that is that, uh, you know, I think particularly for us, I mean, we, we're also seeing within the community a, a greater move for uh, sort of these networks of people uh, starting to form uh, in terms of cultural linguistic diversity. And I think really it's small, it's nascent, but within our organisations that, that is starting to happen. And what we need to do is bring them together and harness that power to, uh, to basically, you know, look forward into how our organisations will adapt for the future. Yeah, the uh, the linguistic diversity is absolutely really critical, and it's actually really hard to um, recruit for as well. Um, now, Meg, you mentioned earlier that your name is not actually Meg. <laughs> That's um, right. And my name is not actually Olivia. No way. No way. Uh, my name is Shen Mengtian in Mandarin, or Sam Mengtian in Cantonese. So, I was born in Guangzhou, um, and I came to Australia at the age of six. Um, and I'm going to ask a question that I've been asked throughout my life in Australia. Carl, what's your real name and where are you really from? Uh, my real name is uh, Carl Chang, but actually my real name is uh, Zhang Jingzhi. Uh, and uh, so that's that's my real name in, in Chinese, uh, Mandarin speaker, or Zhang Jingzhi in um, Cantonese. My wife would be appalled at, at the way I just pronounced that. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and I, was, I was born in, uh, in Taipei. Uh, and my parents um, grew up in uh, Shanghai and Tianjin. 
We'll be right back. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. In this disrupted world, Australia needs security professionals more than ever. Join the next generation studying at the ANU National Security College. Our programs uniquely fuse academic knowledge with practitioner experience and fit around your lifestyle with study offered online and on campus. Follow the link in the show notes for more information about programs and scholarships. The ANU National Security College. Engaging minds for a secure Australia. Meg, we've talked about this before, but we both have some really poignant stories about learning English. Do you want to tell yours? Yeah, so um, I learned English on the school playground. I did not go to the ESL language classes like my sisters, um, and there were no Spanish speakers in my school. So I got paired with the Portuguese kids and the school went, yeah, that's good enough. I went, okay, yeah, that'll do. Um, So that's how I learned to speak English. And my sisters would come home and um, coming from ESL, they'd always sing songs and um, they'd always put on the Beatles album because it was, you know, nice and easy and good tunes. And so that's how I learned to speak English, This, this, what you're hearing now. My Spanish is not... Um, that great. It's stuck in 1986, the year that I moved to Australia. Uh, I try to practice every now and then, but it's it's not fantastic. Yeah, I had quite a different experience learning English. Um, I did go to ESL class um, and I actually pretended to be dumb for a little while longer so I could stay in ESL class. Um, so I just pretended to be dumb for like two extra like terms, and, <laughs> but pretend that I couldn't grasp English and people were genuinely worried. But, um, that being said, I actually learned it really fast. And I, I still remember so vividly the moment that English clicked for me. And actually that to me was the superpower, being able to communicate um, broke me out of my shell and that was when I discovered the superpower. So I, I migrated when I was about five, um, but that was a while ago. I don't remember going to any ESL classes. I remember going to a local primary school and uh, and the local um, kindy and that was, that was it. So somewhere in that path, learning happened. Uh, but what I do remember, and my mother likes to tell this story, which is basically I'd come home, which she'd have a chat with me about how my day was, and I'd say, apparently I said to her, um, what did what did the teacher say to you today? And she said, uh, and I said, uh, no, Carl, no. And I said, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> my, oh, that's a beautiful story. And, but it also goes to show how society in Australia has moved on as well, right? Like, when, when I was in ESL class, I was one of three Chinese kids in there and this was in a very, very white uh, primary school in North Shore of Sydney. I struggled to think of a single school in the greater Western Sydney, Metatop- greater Sydney basin that has only three Chinese or non-white kids in yeah. it. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I, and it's it is interesting too because I, I, when I when I came to Australia, um, most of the Chinese Australians in Australia were Cantonese speakers, mm. and I'd come from a Mandarin speaking environment. So actually, for me growing up, it was a bit strange because I, I was kind of a, a little bit out of both worlds. Mm. I wasn't a Cantonese speaker; I didn't speak Cantonese. Didn't really hang out with people who spoke Cantonese. There were no other kids who spoke Mandarin. Uh, so I had to find my place with Greeks and Italians and uh, other kids um, from different backgrounds. Yeah, I think that's not – our stories are not dissimilar, right? And they're, and they're pretty typical, I think, of the norm of what it feels like for, for migrant kids when they come here, having to kind of find their place. Um, and you asked you know, the question, where are you really from? It's funny, I consider myself first and foremost – Australian, and I don't often get asked that question, but certainly my heritage has had a strong influence and a strong bearing on the way that I look at the world. So I'm, I am, I guess I'm very proud to be able to straddle both of those worlds. So, Carl, Olivia and I have spoken about how we became interested in national security, but we haven't heard your story. And I'm curious to know what drew you in the first place. Well, I guess. Challenge actually, like one of one of the things uh, about national security and the work that we do is it's so different to everything else, right? And it's kind of unique because there's really only one place you can kind of do it in Australia, you know. So that was really what what drew me in, and and I think partly also to largely to challenge myself because as as I as I said, um, you know, coming from the the background, kind of usually a very quiet kind of guy. Uh, and so being able to put yourself into where you are not comfortable, uh, I think is actually really, really important and doing something that's different uh, and that is challenging uh, is really the attraction and always has been the attraction for me. Yeah. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for coming in today. It's and pleasure. thank you for being a champion for people like Olivia and I. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for this podcast. It's been great. So that's a wrap for our first podcast in this mini-series. We hope you'll stay tuned for um, our other upcoming podcasts. This will be a short series of six where we sort of unpack the challenges and the opportunities for cold people in the national security community. We obviously welcome your feedback. We welcome your stories. Um, We welcome particularly your experiences of being part of the community um, that we'd love for you to share with us. So look forward to your feedback. If you have any comments, or suggestions for future episodes, you can contact us at natsecpod, that's N-A-T-S-E-C-P-O-D at anu.edu.au. And until next time, thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.